0: hey everyone welcome back to more than work this week or welcome if it's the first time you're here i'm really glad to have you and you're in for a great episode really if i don't say so myself which i do so i have b kyle on and she is the ceo of the st paul chamber of commerce in minnesota and i'll get into that in the intro to the podcast too when i introduce her but We had a really great conversation, and we do talk about the tragedy, the death of George Floyd, which did occur in Minnesota last year, and so that really was the catalyst for a lot of the social justice movement and Black Lives Matter movement that was going on last year. I mean, Black Lives Matter existed before then, obviously, but just what really got galvanize the world I mean it I'm living in London as you probably know and there were protests going on here and there's a lot of diversity and inclusion events and activity going on at the company I work for now in in England and it really just around the world the impact was felt but it was also felt very much in Minnesota very much in the community where B is working and a leader in her community and so it was really an honor to get to talk to her about that and to have a very candid discussion about what that meant in her community and how she felt just on a personal level and then as a community leader. And I, I hate to say I'm really excited to share this with you. I think sharing tragedy is very hard, but I, am really, um, really honored that to share this with you. And then we talk about a lot of other things too. I mean, she was in the army, so we talk about her time there and she just has great thoughts on leadership and just how she's lived her life and in service and with a lot of meaning. And she really admits to just kind of being uncertain of herself in some ways and, you know, working to do the job she's doing now really well and to, keep learning and so I just I think she's great to talk to. I mentioned in the intro and I'll mention now though, my best friend actually introduced me to her. He's on the board of the St. Paul Chamber and some other organizations as well. And when I was looking last year to decide whether I should go back to school or how I should kind of follow through on my purpose to serve, I reached out to a couple friends who were involved on boards of nonprofits and they reached out to leaders of their nonprofits they work for and this is a conversation I was really fortunate to have and on my own with her just to get some advice and mentorship and then I decided also to ask her to be on the podcast so by the way I just finished my first class in the Harvard Kennedy School public leadership credential course Um, or well I guess it's not a course I finished my first course it's really a program and so I have five more six-week classes to go plus a two-week capstone program but I'm really excited I finished this class it was tough it was a big challenge it was a big challenge to me personally and just having to really dig deep and analyze myself but it was also a challenge just to read uh, Harvard grad level course material but it was great and part of the reason I'm there I'm there now is just I made the decision was just the people who gave me a chance to talk to them so I always say this, but I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear how More Than Work has impacted you or if you have a guest idea or if you just want to tell me what you think of the show or anything. I'd love to hear from you. If you can review, if you can like, subscribe, all that, that'd be great. I'm on Clubhouse now. I'm going to start a group for More Than Work there. So if you're there, look out for that soon. My name is Robbie SC on there. But anyway, I think it's just time to get to the show. And... I really hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is defined by more than your job title. I'm Rabia, an IT project manager, comedian, nonprofit volunteer, and sometimes activist. Every week... I'll chat with a guest about pursuing passions outside of work or creating meaningful opportunities inside the workplace. As you listen, I hope you'll be inspired to do the same. Hey, everyone, welcome back this week. I'm really excited, as I always am. I always say I'm really excited, but I always am excited to talk to people. Um, but I have someone that I met actually through basically she was doing talking to me to mentor me and a little bit and just tell me about what she did while I'm thinking about what I want to do in my career. Um, She's president and CEO at the St. Paul area chamber in St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, B Kyle. Hey, B. Good morning. It's so nice to see your face. Yeah, it's nice to see. I know it's like this is how we can see people now is through a screen. So
1: no worries about traveling. I get to see more of you this way. Thanks for letting me be here today.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining us. So you just want to introduce yourself a little bit to the more than work audience?
1: Sure. So my name is B Kyle. I do work at a Chamber of Commerce in the state of Minnesota. Do you have are do you have United States listeners? Or are they most mostly? mostly US? Okay. So they know where yeah. Minnesota is. And I've been in that role for about three and a half years now. And it's my background is private sector. So this has been quite the adventure for me to learn about how to operate within the structure of a chamber.
0: Yeah. I'm sure, and I would say, um too, just kind of also, because is your role really in the Chamber of Commerce, you're kind of helping guide businesses and how like planning goes around business in your community, right? Is that
1: well, yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've been studying that question for myself,. Uh, over the course of these last years uh, just to make sure that we're bringing value to the members. So, uh, you know, clearly a a chamber structure is based on membership participation and support. And then our job is to do the work on behalf of those members. And there's this delicate balance between it's the same, same in politics. You can be a leader that you, that says, Hey, you, you know, me, you trust me, let me do my thing continue to trust me. And then basically the chamber kind of takes on the drive of the leader and and you hope that you just have to trust that the leader kind of knows what they're doing um, based on their value system. And then the second path is this idea of let me pull my membership or my constituency, ask them what's important to them, what to do and they, and then you do their work. So I think the second is harder for a leader because you've got to trust somebody else's Priorities rather than your own gut and instincts. And yet there's so in my mind, there's a little bit of a balance where you have to trust who you are and what you what your skill set is that they hired. And then you've also got to make sure that using those skill sets and those talents in service to the broader priorities of the organization. So each chamber is a little different because each community is different. Some are really focused on community service. Um some are really focused on advocacy and policy. Others are focused on economic development, for example. And so, um, but the basic premise is the same is that you're working to advance the priorities of the business community within your community. Mm-hmm.
0: So, something I, we're kind of past the holiday season now. Thank goodness, because that was, that was hard this year, but, or last year. But, um, so something like shop small is that, an example where you would help like promote an idea or shop local, that kind of thing.
1: Sure. So uh, you saw a lot of that last year, right? With, mm-hmm. with uh, such burden on the small business due to COVID-19. And so there were all kinds of campaigns across the country around shop local uh, invest with, in your retailers, um, buy food uh, and order out kind of thing to give mm-hmm. you your a restaurants uh, business And then depending on the community, you either do that work yourself or we're, so St. Paul, of course, is the capital city of the state of Minnesota. And we have, we have two twin cities, uh, St. Paul, Minneapolis, and each of us is driven by a a very large regional chamber. And so we have the the good fortune of having resources like our, we've got a strong economic development entity. We've got a convention and visitors bureau called Visit Mm -hmm. St. Paul. And so we work with our partners. So the idea with, Visit St. Paul is they're all about promotion and marketing of the city. And so we can partner with them in the support of the small business campaigns that you're talking about. So we saw a lot of that this past year. And then, of course, the other piece of a chamber then is, um, I would say, kind of moving in these. Again, my tenure in this business is not 20 years, but just what I'm learning from folks is that there's a, a growing sense of a holistic approach to business development such that and strong business community must be rooted in a strong community and vice versa. Mm -hmm. So there's real focus on how can we advance community priorities as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: that's really cool. I have um, one of my best friends who, you know, lives in Minnesota. And so when I was doing gifts for a few people, I was trying to go to all the like local places in their communities and it was tricky being I'm in London. So it's even more tricky, but it was kind of fun to try to find cool stores in different Mm -hmm. places that mm-hmm. I now want to visit, you know? <laughs>
1: right, right. Isn't that neat?
0: Yeah, it's nice to just hop off of Amazon every once in a while and feel like you're, you know, serving someone else, even with your purchase.
1: So that's really cool. You've seen small businesses really having to pivot. What had been a three to five year plan around digital delivery, or if you're a restaurant, online ordering and mm-hmm. delivery of food and all that. What had been a three to five year plan suddenly became a three to five month plan? Mm-hmm. right? to so, go, and you think about even us communicating via a di- digital platform. I mean, all of this had to be ramped up instead of, Hey, we've got to work to some kind of a digital platform in the next three to five years. We've got to do it now. So, yeah. And I'm, I've been quite impressed at how well small business has done to adapt to that work. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Cause a lot of places, I mean, maybe, maybe didn't even have a website before or some right. way of ordering remotely or anything. So, mm-hmm. Um, I think just staying on this track, and then I want to go back in time and talk about your early career, but we'll just stay with kind of Minnesota and the Chamber of Commerce. So two things happened last year. One was the pandemic, but two was in your community was the death of George Floyd. And that had to be a big pivot. And when you talk about like having a strong community and a strong business community, how did that change kind of maybe your positioning and how you dealt with like a community that had to heal, really, and have empathy for also, in a community where things were being destroyed. Essentially, like, how did that change how you dealt with that?
1: Oh my gosh, last year was horrible. Mm-hmm. As far as the the tragic loss of George Floyd, you know, it's there's so many words. It's hard for me even to start talking about it. Um, the horror and the tragedy of the moment. Mm-hmm. followed by the civil unrest that caused $100 million of damage in the city of Minneapolis and the city of St. Paul and the grief of the community. And, and you know what was hardest for me? I'll tell you what was hardest, was watching my, uh, my Black friends talk about this death with a resignation, an air of resignation. Mm. Here we go, one more Black man killed. Mm-hmm that was so gripping for me earlier last year. We had actually, it was 2019 now that we, we did, um, uh, we did a meeting entitled our hidden figures, you know, from the movie talking about black women that had served in, um, service to the United States government and they're brilliant people and how they were treated. Well, we have, we have quite a, quite a, an extraordinary community here and among them we have our own hidden figures some um now very senior black women who had worked for NSA and you know all other aspects of the United States government and we featured them and interviewed them in this meeting and was and then of course we had the next generation of black women who were their mentees as it were and one of one of the elder the women she said you know i had to go to work had to do my job. Meanwhile, the cities were burning, Mm. talking about civil rights. Mm -hmm. So that, that has stayed with me, the black experience, which has been, as I hear it, I'm trying to go to work. I'm trying to do my job. Meanwhile, my people are being killed around me and no one is doing anything about it. The, the absurdity and the horror of that, that they so casually mentioned. Right. And so when, when then fast forward to, to today and George Floyd is killed and it's on camera and it's in public and the black community is horrified. And then there's this subtle resignation. It just, just, I just couldn't, it was very, very powerful. And then of course it became violent. And so there's this, you know, Martin Luther King himself talks about um, violence is the language of the oppressed when they have no other voice. That's where it goes. Um, so the, my sense of things is there is a growing impatience for change. Like Mm -hmm. it's a concerning impatience for me because it's bubbling over like it did with George Floyd. Uh, that said, I mean, what it also did was, uh, what's the word start to stimulate, um, more real accountability work in Mm -hmm. the community. Like, um, we've got to do something different, otherwise it's it's quote unquote just one more black man killed in the street, right? How can we use this tragedy as a way to turn things around moving forward? And I don't know. Even when I talk to my friends in the black community, there is there is a glimmer of hope, but there's a lot of skepticism. Like nothing's going to change. Right? People are people aren't going to care enough about what happens to other people, you know, them, the black community. If the white majority is saying, you know, if that's them, there's mm-hmm. not enough motivation to change. So there's a lot of skepticism and weariness. But I also would say there has been notable activity in the community relative to how can we do things differently? And we're also learning that it's not just about the black community and the non just the non white community overall. It's not only their job to talk about this and stand up for this and advocate for this, but indeed it's up to the white community as well as allies to understand how the horror of this and advocate for change. So we're seeing some of that. The good news is, I mean, we were raised about $1.3 million to give back to the small business community that was devastated by the civil unrest. Minneapolis certainly has struggled with this idea about defunding the police because um which is another extreme reaction that is not practical or helpful oh, and it's
0: as a, just to interrupt you as a marketing, it's like a marketing name versus like, you know, uh, it's not to me. And it's like, you're, it's like a term, like a buzzword, but it's not okay. like actually like a policy. Like oh,
1: in Minneapolis, they wanted to be a policy. There's some city council people yeah. who thought that would be a great idea. And but you're right. It's it's madness. It's it's mm-hmm. another knee-jerk reaction to a horror that is not going to help anything. Uh, there's a lot of police reform that can happen, most definitely. Right. And good, good cops, I mean, I'm a, I'm a veteran. So I, cops right. and firefighters are like our cousins, right? So mm-hmm. the vast majority of public servants are care deeply about the community. And so those good cops are interested in reform to protect the community as well. So- all that to say, George Floyd was a, a tragedy, a horror that reflected, in you know, our community and across the country when you think about what happened last year. And if from that can be change, because mm-hmm. the real issue is about economic opportunity that we're trying to address and the equal access right. to that and building a black middle class and really harnessing everybody. I mean, St. Paul in the, uh, right now is a minority majority city. Our, mm-hmm. If you count our children, we are a minority majority city now. And frankly, if you've got the majority of your city under experiencing economic success, you are failing, not only economically and morally, but just the future, of the community is at risk when not everybody gets to be economically successful. So it's Mm -hmm. a real challenge we're wrestling with.
0: Yeah. So did, so yeah. And I mean, I just, I can't imagine being a leader in that community or otherwise. I mean, just being here, I was so removed from it, but there were protests here. In, yeah. in London, but I was so removed from what I normally probably would have been doing or involved in if I'd been in the States. Yeah, um, did So how did you guys raise the money? How did that effort happen?
1: Well, you know, Minnesota also is, um, as you look across the country, Minnesota's philanthropic investments are among the highest in the nation. We've mm-hmm. got a really strong civic engagement. Thread here, and so in fact, it's kind of funny when in 2019 when you talk about themes and what what does a what does a chamber say on behalf of the business community in 2019 we were talking about this idea that business is good you know that double entendre not only is business good right now the economy is doing well but business is good in terms of its desire to serve and engage uh, and so 2020 it became business does good. Wow. And that does good translated into millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of companies investing in economic recovery, um, establishing economic justice and social justice priorities, investing back in the community. So what we did as an organization, we just put the call out. We realized there was hundreds of millions of damage uh, in our major corridors relative to the civil unrest after the loss of George Floyd. And we put the call out, created a created a web page, you know, shared it in, through media and so and the community that we were taking donations to to support and provide grants for the small businesses on the avenues, and money came pouring in. Hmm. Shocking! I mean, over eight hundred individuals and companies. Some sent five dollars, some yeah. sent two hundred fifty thousand dollars to create this fund, and it was it was extraordinary, and it wasn't. We spent a lot of time, also, with some of the larger philanthropic organizations to fund it, it but it mostly came from business, small <laughs> businesses, large businesses, their foundations. Some of them aren't even headquartered here, and they said, "Hey, we we want to help." Yeah. And we documented the whole story uh, to create a video to kind of mark the year. And this year, twenty twenty one, what we want to do is create the second half of that video, which is some kind of an invest on the avenue. Event that brings the community back together, whether it's um, day on the avenue cleaning up, food, music, peace garden, some art installations on some of our buildings to kind of mark this idea that we can move forward. Yeah, um, and so to tell that complete story,
0: that's great. I yeah. well, one of my favorite. I actually have it, but oh, you could almost see it here. I have it hanging. Um, is a Bob Dylan um, piece, or like the—I don't know. You can't really see it on my camera, but it's the mural, the Bob Dylan mural that's in Minneapolis. Yes, Minnesota. that's
1: Minneapolis. Yeah. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah,
0: it's really cool. Um, I loved it, so I took a picture and blew it up. But well, that sounds great. I mean, it sounds like you guys really just are trying to just keep working through to take care of what you can as far as the business community goes and then take care of of the community. And I agree. I mean, if you don't have healthy businesses, it's hard to have a healthy community and vice versa. That's exactly right. I can't,
1: I couldn't agree with you more. There's this absolute need for us to be working together. And it's, that's not something I would say that has been expressed commonly in the past. You see Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, big, bad business haters, mm-hmm. right? You see the businesses don't give enough and business doesn't do do their part, which is so far and away from the truth. But the business community has had to um, be sure that they are engaging in the community because of that reality that you talked about, uh, which has been really fascinating. We, for example, we did a study in, in uh, St. Paul. I don't know, it's been six years ago now. To, to really answer that question, you know, big bad business doesn't pay its way. Okay, well, let's find that out. So, we analyzed the tax structure. So, St. Paul, for example, um, one third of it. So, we're a huge parks and green space state, right? The yeah. land of yeah. lakes. So, in this capital city, which of course has the government and the libraries, and we've got five um, universities, including the University of Minnesota. If you broke that out. One third of our land is tax exempt. No taxes being being gathered, but we have to pay for that, right? And, that, uh, and then, of course, one third is um, residential, <clears throat> excuse me, and one third is zoned commercial and industrial. And then you take a look at the tax deliverables in each of those two zoned, two thirds there. And what we, we broke it down to is as a resident of the state of Minnesota, I pay taxes. Let's just say I pay a dollar of taxes. I use about a dollar and 16 cents of services just because okay. it costs a lot to take care of me. Yeah. Yeah. The the business community pays a dollar's worth of taxes and they use about 86 cents.
0: Okay. So the, yeah. the
1: whole key is you need more business to subsidize people, us residents to pay for what we need in terms of services. Right. And yet, when you say to you say to the community, here's the numbers. There's the sense of I don't care. Business isn't doing enough. They 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 need to pay, uh, pay their way. So right. there's this blindness about being rational about this, and there's also this depersonalization of business. You, it's we see business as a thing, as if to say it's not you and me. And so mm-hmm. we, as an organization, actually talk about employers rather than big bad business because you can't. Gotcha. Deny the fact that your brother and your sister and your cousins and your mom and hopefully your kids work in a business. Mm-hmm. Want to be employers. They're people. They're your neighbors who do work. And it's those community, those employers who pay more than their fare of taxes to support the rest of us to subsidize our services. So, but you, United States is so uniquely Uh, grounded in this connection between healthy business and healthy communities. If you do work outside of the the United States, and I talk to international companies regularly who tell me, it's not that way everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot harder to do business in a community that is not healthy and vibrant on its own. So Mm -hmm. we get it and working real hard to promote that here.
0: Hmm. So when you just thinking about, you mentioned that you, our former military. So, yeah, you were in the U.S. Army, yeah and had a career in the service basically before going into the private sector. So, first of all, just as someone who, I think I would say I definitely love America, but I also definitely never saw myself as someone who could even survive physically in. The service, right? And I didn't do it. And I, it's one of those things, I think, and I don't know if you hear this from people that I do regret in a way not having done something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What made you say, okay, I'm going to take this early part of my life and, and go into the service?
1: Well, I agree with you. The service was the best decision I ever made in my entire life. Now, in the United States, the vast majority of Military service in the regular army comes from the south and the southeast. Mm-hmm. So up in up north, it's not a strong recruitment area. Lots of National Guard um, and reserves up here, but but much uh, fewer regular army. So it's an oddity for that we went um, regular army through ROTC through my university, but to some degree, um, it's all about family and what your life experience is, which dovetails into the idea about using that this mindset for how we introduce kids to new career opportunities as well so when you start as a kid you look around your world and you decide that's what the world is what does your mom do what does your dad do and if you don't have both parents what do your what's your adults in your life do what does the neighborhood feel like what's the energy there and you just learn that is reality whatever that is right and it's clearly not the full picture but you're a kid you don't know well my life was filled with military i mean My mother has uh, um, six brothers and five sisters, I know. And all six of them went to war in World War II. Mm -hmm. Army, Navy, Marines. Um, My dad was a warrant officer uh, during um, Korea. And we have lots of police officers. My cousins and my uncles are in the St. Paul Police Department. And they've long since retired, of course. But So I grew up with this experience of... Uh, that that was that's the world. That's kind of what you do or you could do as an option. So that was always there for me. And then the the concept of the military always interested me because ultimately I kind of see us w- um, wanting to be a part of something. Listen, that what you're talking about, this this quiet yearning to have said I was a part of something big or important or somehow meaningful. And the military brings you that. And then, of course, what it also brings with you is discipline and Leadership training and um, and uniquely, you're 21 years old and you're put in front of a command of 75 people. And one of them is your first sergeant, he's from Vietnam, and you're supposed to lead this organization when you don't have a clue. And this person clearly (laughs) does. So you learn a lot about what leadership is and does. So I, and then of course, ultimately, I was a really poor kid, which is another um, clear path to the military. You're a poor kid with no direction. You want to be a part of something meaningful and they're going to help you get through college at the same time. God bless right. you. So yep. I did. And then I got stationed over in overseas um, West Germany when it was West Germany. Wow. So yeah. 19, in 1986, I arrived in, in um, Kaiser slaughter in West Germany and was there when the wall came down and got to observe and experience like wow. fall out of that. Um Fascinating time to be there, but it was the best decision I ever made to do that it was fabulous.
0: So one thing you've written about and you shared with me um, pretty generously, some just leadership thoughts you have. And so I want (laughs) to read one to you, one of your thoughts to you, and then (laughs) talk about it. Um, I won't impersonate your voice. I'll just read it.
1: (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You have a nice voice. (laughs)
0: Uh, Becoming a great leader Mm -hmm. comes at great personal sacrifice. Simon Sinek has published a book, Leaders Eat Last. Military leaders understand that concept implicitly. When something goes well, you give away all the credit. When something goes wrong, you take all the responsibility. That's the job. So, I mean, I can discern why that's an important thought to you. But how how is that idea, first of all, like, stuck with you? And then how I can almost say how I think it's applied. But how is it applied to like, you know, especially now what you've gone through lately, but even throughout your career and coming to where you are?
1: Well, I think that's a really big question. Um, and leadership, I mean, be careful what you wish for. Leadership is not an easy thing to have or be responsible to do. And for me, it's all about character. And if you're not ready, then you're not ready. And, and I, contra- you know, conversely, I also think that you can be a leader no matter where you are in your life, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to be the boss of something to demonstrate the principles of leadership. Um, but it's all about character. So when I think about the military, for example, leaders eat last, there's this sense of, you know, when you you can choose one of, in my mind, you can choose one of two paths when you move in, as you move up in business in particular, or just in life, you can choose the path of, I'm going to have these people work for me so I can look good and get promoted. Mm -hmm. Right. It's all about me. Or you can, recognize that your role as a leader is to be the servant of the team, that you want to make sure they have everything they have such that they can do good work because ultimately if they're succeeding and happy and growing, your organization is going to reap the benefits of it, right? But it's all Mm -hmm. about where you focus your energy. So leaders eat last is exactly that. I care about my soldiers feet. I care about their weapon. I care about their kids and their family and their home life and their, are they paying their bills? There's this holistic approach to I care about you as a human being. So for all that, people might want to bash the military for being, I don't know, militant. (laughs) (laughs) The military was actually really progressive in terms of this bring all, you know, when you talk in the business community now about authenticity and bringing your whole self to work and all these newly empowering phrases, the truth is the military has lived that out forever. I care about you as a human being. How are you doing in life? Uh, when I was in Germany, we had to deal with uh, the value of the mark changed such that when I moved out there, my young soldiers were living on the economy because it was a two to one ratio. So you could make a little bit of money, but have plenty to pay your rent. And mm-hmm. as I as I went through the late eighties, that ratio changed such that instead of two to one, it was one to one. The kids couldn't afford to live on the economy anymore. So how are you doing? And how's your family doing? Was real, and a lot of them had to move back onto the. <clears throat> Uh, to base and had to figure out housing for them and such. So the idea is if you can focus on them and don't worry about you, ultimately you'll be just fine. And that's the whole basic uh, basis of leaders eat last. And I think that's the fundamental approach to a healthy leadership style as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the whole servant leadership. I mean, that's the one that that style resonates most with me and what I try to do. And I think you're right. Um, I had, Actually, I avoided a discussion <laughs> recently, but it was gonna be one and I just decided it wasn't the flag for me to run with. But someone, I was talking about leadership and someone said, well, that's not applicable to everyone's job. It's not job specific. That was the mm. comment. And I was like, in my head, then that there's a problem with that. Like to right. me, that's then we have a fundamental disagreement about what leadership is. Because in my role, I feel like I can be a leader within my team, whether it's people laterally, people, there's not really below. I'm just, a, I'm a project manager. So I run a project. It's kind of like mm-hmm. personalization of your work in general, right? Just say, well, I'm just a project manager. But I I found that so problematic to think that you don't see leadership skills as essential to anyone's job.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating, isn't it? It's like, Somehow we have this attachment that leader means you're standing in front of a bunch of people. And that's—I completely agree with you. I, if I may, I'll tell you a story about mm-hmm. the, the journey to leadership for me. And it—it's when I say it's all about character, because you have to be full on the inside. And this isn't about this is a state isn't a state of job. It's a state of mind. It's an understanding about where your value comes from. <clears throat> You can't lead, you can't demonstrate um, character and integrity and wisdom and um, pace. You know, when your insides are just all out of whack and when your insides are driven by I'm not enough, I need more of this, the sense of um, hunger, I guess. So to my mind, the work of a person to, to develop the leadership skills he or she needs just to live life well is about figuring out what your hunger is and filling it in the right way. So I spent a lot of time trying to figure out why I wasn't succeeding, why I wasn't feeling full and whole at work. And I realized at some point I did some small group stuff, some counseling stuff and realized that I was hungry for the acclaim of man, right? The, the, I wanted people to like me. I wanted people to think I was smart And I wanted people to think I was good enough and that I belonged, right? So I was dealing with you from a place of hunger. I need for you to feed me. I need for you to tell me that you like me. I'm smart enough. I belong, all those things. And But in so doing, I create this relationship with you where I'm trying to pull things from you. And you can feel it instinctively. Whether or not any of us really puts it to word, you have this sense of, ugh. Why are you needing to be affirmed all the time? Why am I pulling on me? And, and people move away from that? So I spent some real time trying to figure out how to feed myself in those spaces. And I honestly thought in so doing, I never would get promoted to anything else because I was like you, kind of a, when you say project manager, I worked more, I was leading on in a team and I was working on projects. I figured mm-hmm. I needed to stop scrambling for attention and promotion and more money. And, you know, I just had to stop because I wasn't doing it from a place that felt good. I wasn't feeling um, fulfilled. I was feeling like I was faking it, like I was pretending to be um, this big, strong, know-it-all. And I was one of those people who talked too much. I still talk too much, candidly, because mm-hmm. I enjoy connecting with people, but um, answered all the questions. <clears throat> if I didn't even know, sometimes I would exaggerate or just flat out lie. Sure, I know that when I didn't know that, because I wanted to look like I had the answers, right? Right. Um, and so releasing all that, and, and it took me a few years to stop. Every time I knew I wanted to meet Rabbiya and get you to feed me and tell me I was okay, I needed, I was going to stop, just not do it. That's a very lonely place for someone mm-hmm. who needs to be fed from the outside to stop feeding yourself and just spend some time with the inside. And mm-hmm. I felt like I was shrinking and getting smaller and less significant. It was horrible until I finally got to an itty bitty small place <clears throat> that was. It turned. It was me. It turns out, I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. It turns yeah. out, I'm deeply introspective, and and I really would rather have just talk to you and be at home analyzing and running my spreadsheets than being out there talking to people and you know schmoozing, quote unquote, for a new job. But when I started interacting with people from a place of my own authenticity, that's when my real relationships started happening, and that's when I actually felt like I was connecting with people because I wasn't wanting to pull from you actually i wanted to listen to you and learn from you and so real relationships started developing and from there my career took off and the the example that you set to your point about leadership within a team when you give other when you try to do life in your way and on your terms you give other people permission to do the same and that's Mm -hmm. so freeing right um and I found that to be really, really fun. And I get to be me and do life and still succeed work-wise and, right. uh, and then pass along to other people.
0: Yeah. I I agree with all that. I like that just story of you having to analyze yourself. I think a lot of times what happens, especially in business, is we're so busy in this comparison mode too. So you only felt like you weren't enough because you were looking at other people who you thought were or whatever, right? And at some point, it's that's like everyone has to
1: learn. Sorry, I've got my dogs in here. Some, that's another thing we do is we compare our insides to somebody else's outsides. So, boy, you look put together. You're, so, you're smart. You're really eloquent. You know, you're really telling, gosh, you're living in London. That's so cool. Um, and here my little nobody, blah, blah, blah. And so we have that inner dialogue monologue that is so destructive because that's not what you're thinking. No. And then, um, so, yeah. I agree with yeah. you.
0: Yeah. No, that's exactly right. I um well I do comedy and one of the things I I am playing with is a, a bit about like people <laughs> saying you're lucky because and it's really not something that has anything to do with lucky and maybe it's not even something you feel bad about about yourself, but they're like, Oh, you're so lucky, you know, whatever. It's like, okay, well, you have a house and kids Thank and I'm you. <laughs> you know, like so. Yeah, so it's kind of, it's funny. Um, Another thing you said about leadership that I really liked and uh, it's just that I'll read is if you do that job well, and it's whatever job you were talking about, jobs um, in general, but if you do that job well, you get promoted. And at some point you become responsible for the people who do what you used to do. But nobody shows us how to do that. And that's why we wind up with managers and not leaders. And I-
1: yes, yes, yes. I, that is excites me so much, but doesn't, it, but when you, if there's two things, I, my kids are adult, adults now. I've got a 28 year old son and a 31 year old daughter and they're ridiculous, as you might imagine,
0: ridiculously <laughs> awesome.
1: And when I think about what I wanted to teach my kids, two things, I wanted them to learn how to think right mm-hmm. for themselves, but just think, and of course they wildly disagree with me, which is unfortunate. Clearly I didn't teach them well enough, that. Wanted them to think like me, right? Yeah, <laughs> <So yeah. laughs> to think and then teach them about context in the world to understand what it is, what the, you know, what the world is about and how you can fit into it. So you don't walk into the world blind about, about how to function. Now go back to read what you just said again, because I lost my train of thought. Sure. Okay.
0: So that last, so basically paraphrasing the first part, like, eventually you'll get promoted and you'll become responsible for the people doing your job. Yeah. Yes.
1: And, and so when you think, so part of the whole teaching, teaching people how to think and giving them context for the world, you, that's the other step of that then is understanding that your job is to care for the people who care for the work or care for the people. And that's another thing you learn in the military, right? When somebody says, I I care about my customer. I want to say you haven't touched your customer in ten years. How are you touching your employees and how are you taking care of them? Because they're the ones who are dealing with the customers. And it's just it's just a mindset. Oh, that's right. How how can your people be more? And I will tell you, it's um, it's it's an ever it's an ongoing battle every day to struggle with ego, and um, it gets easier every day, but it's still there. Just just this morning, I had another little private ego battle. Um, I have a huge, I have a big team. I hire executive level thinkers mm-hmm. who are strong minded, which means they disagree with me. What I mean? What do you mean you're disagreeing with me? I know everything, so I have to deal with smart people who are willing to disagree with me for the better of the organization. And then I have to be able to listen and learn and be taught, right? So this morning, I just saw two of my public affairs team co wrote a piece for the newspaper, and. They didn't put my name on it, and I had a moment of—I seriously, I'm, I'm totally confessing to you right now—I I had a twinge of ego, like what? And and then this—the it, it took me at least ten seconds to get over myself, I assure you. And then I was like, okay, this is really good, because you want to make sure that your people get the attention. So frankly, they do the talking, so you don't have to be in public, which is another good thing I'd prefer to bring right. back the But also, wow, look at yourself. You're still in growth mode, aren't you? Because you actually reacted to that emotionally. Like, what about me? What about me? So it's still there. You know, it's always with me. And always. each of us has our own little um, burden of growth. And and we get those twinges in the back of our mind throughout the course of a day or week or whatever. Um, Still a work in progress. But I absolutely have seen that the more I give away, the more I receive. And it's Mm -hmm. not easy. Because the other thing I will tell you is that along these lines of you know life lessons is this idea that doing right, the the action of doing right, the decision to do right, the thinking to do right comes first before the feeling or the blessing of having done that. Right. Mm-hmm. Think about, so I think about within the context of love, for example, love is, Love isn't a feeling. Love is a choice. Love. It's three in the morning with a kid that's screaming who just threw up in their in their bed. Ba- in their bed, you don't feel good about that. You mm-hmm. don't feel all warm and fuzzy in love. You decide you are going to get up and love that and serve that child and clean that child up. And the bl- love, the blessing later when they're sweet and they smell good and they're sleeping in your arms, was just so wonderful. That's the blessing of the decision, right? Mm. And So we, particularly United States and Western cultures, we have a reverse. We put how we feel first. I just don't feel it or I just don't blank anymore or or I just felt it so that that's what I did. Right. We're driven by what we feel. And when something feels a certain way, then we decide that it is a certain way when the truth is I'm going to feel I'm going to feel that I like you today and therefore you're a likable person tomorrow. I'm not going to like you so much because mm-hmm. I'm having mood. And suddenly you're not a likable person. The truth of who you are does not change based on how I feel. And yet we operate right. as it does. Right. And so the challenge of adulthood and the challenge of leadership also is to decide what you believe. hmm. And then you act on those beliefs and the feelings are the caboose. They're going to come later because they change your hormones, change your hunger levels, change your, your, your ego changes. Um, I don't like you today because you aren't agreeing with me or because I'm having a bad day or I didn't eat lunch. When the truth of the matter is I'm going to treat you like a valuable person and how I Mm -hmm. feel about you is going to be the blessing that comes later. And if we can do that reverse more often, where we act in what we know is true Mm -hmm. rather than what we feel I think we'd make some better decisions
0: yeah because a lot of times even well and it's funny because I think texting and instant message and stuff is a good example of sometimes like just and I'll just speak for myself (laughs) I'll write something and I'll be like oh yeah that's probably not what I wanted to say like that's probably (gasps) not the I got into a thing with some people and actually one of them might listen to this the other day at work and I was just responding, but I wasn't thinking about their feelings about what I might've been saying, which I know. I mean, you can't control others' emotions, but I could have used different words to express my point. I was frustrated, but I wasn't frustrated at them as people. It was more just at, you know, some other thing. Right. And the way I communicated though, made them feel like they were personally being attacked. But also it's like, we were both just leading with our feelings at that point. And then I was immediately able to say, no, no, like I genuinely wasn't feeling anything negative towards them as a person. So it was very easy for me to say, no, no, like in my head, I understand why they thought that that's not what I thought at all. Now, if I had been really negative towards them, it would have been like really bad, but Mm -hmm. I knew like too, that they were reacting how to how they felt about this thing versus the logic thing, and so I see what you mean. But instant messaging and texting—that's like the worst because it's just you have sent it and it's done. And it's based usually on how it. you
1: feel, yep, the two immediate connection. Oh my gosh, I totally agree with you.
0: Yeah, and Not the words per minute like... thing—if you're a fast typer, you can really like do some damage quickly. <laughs> you
1: can do some damage. <laughs> that's like, exactly right. <laughs> oh, I wish I I wish I was a hunt and <laughs> <truck. laughs> I also find that um, your energy makes a difference in a room, too, which uh-huh. has been a learning for me that you, you know, if you have a lot of forward energy like I do, it's very it's you know some of it is about self self exploration, like getting a sense for how does your energy interact with people? And it's not something you just intrinsically know. You have to observe how do people react to you in a room? You know, how does you, how you communicate, impact other people? And it turns out that I have a lot of real forward energy. So you and I can be in a room. And I can simply say, I really disagree with you and you want to be flung back in your seat. Like I just yelled at you and I I didn't understand that for a long time. I'm like, why did what I just say, said react, come across so strongly? So then Mm -hmm. you have to, I have to really dial back how I communicate and how strongly I do that, uh, such that I don't run people over like what you talked about because you don't, if you got a lot of energy and you don't, and you want to be passionate about something how do you communicate with that uh, without running over the person on the other side of the table from you? And that's, that can be a dance, but it's one worth trying to navigate. It's exactly what you said. Check yourself. Okay. I'm clearly a lot of energy about this, but I'm not, it's not negative towards you, but people don't always make that translation well.
0: Yeah. 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 There's a shared responsibility. I mean, and it's funny because in, for example, and I don't know how your family dynamic is, but, I talk to my mom every day and I'm sure, you know, you talk to your kids and my mom knows I'm very passionate about stuff. So she'll just kind of let me now, like mm-hmm. just run. Yeah. And she knows that. And my sister and I will get kind of go toe to toe more than me and my mom, just because my mom knows that's just me and how I'm communicating. And with my mm-hmm. sister, I have to think more about it because you know, I I can offend her without meaning to, or, yeah. Or sometimes I'm being passive aggressive, which is not a good trait, but it's like a family trait at this point. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's like your family understands these things, but in business, they're not necessarily understood, you know, the Mm -hmm. same way.
1: You know, somebody told me something once about that very thing, which I was fascinated by. So I have two grandsons, they're three and five, and they're Mm -hmm. my joy. I get to be a mom again, and it is just fabulous. And when the five-year-old is running off about something and he's having a little five-year-old moment, or the three-year-old, I find myself smiling. Like inside, I try not to smile at them because then they get all huffy, right? So <laughs> in my in my heart, I'm my heart is feeling tickled and I'm smiling at this little human being asserting himself and practicing, you know, communication and having opinions and being declarative and you know all the things that a human goes through, and to see that in a little three-year-old or a five-year-old is just the most beautiful thing ever. And so, I have my heart squishes when I see him do that, and and I don't um, I don't react usually to their, their nonsense as far as that goes. And then you project into an adult who does the same thing, and suddenly react. We, we react completely differently to an adult doing the same thing. And part of it is adults should quote unquote know better, but there's also this thing that if if my 5-year-old says I hate you, you're a bad person. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't attach any of myself to those words, right? If an adult says to me I hate you, you're a bad person, I attach myself to those words and there's a piece of me that wonders maybe it's true, right? And yeah. therefore I react to that because I want to defend whatever I'm actually kind of believing. So I find that as an adult, the things that I, that trigger me that make me get defensive or make me want to, you know, bark back or something. I pause about it later and say, you clearly thought some part of this mm-hmm. was, was either true or, um, touching a spot that is hurts for you. And you got to figure that out so you don't react that way again. But it's a fascinating thing when you give power to people and you allow them to say words that impact you emotionally, clearly you're still connected to something there that you yeah. want to figure out why. Because if a three-year-old can say things and I don't feel connected to those words at all, and yet I get really attached to an adult's, you know, whatever this person is saying, I don't know. There's some learning there and I haven't figured that out yet, but um, I certainly noticed the difference in how we can get caught up into how we communicate with one another.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And just react. Yeah, it's true. Cause certain people say something to you and you're like, eh, right. But certain people, it eats at you and it destroys you. And you're just yeah. like, why is that destroying me? That person?
1: Yeah. I, for me, the fundamental, the piece of that has to do with the assumption of goodwill. When you just said that I was thinking about, I have a sister. Who's like that. She says the most offensive things. <laughs> I can't believe you just said that out loud. Like, Wow. <laughs> um and we've got this assumption of goodwill right if i assume that that you love me you're a good person and sometimes you say things you shouldn't have right <laughs> or you say something that really offended me there's this sense of and we're going to talk through it it's going to be fine if i assume not goodwill of you i assume intent you know and that your desire is to say something unkind to me and that's a whole different set of responses based on my own thinking about you. So we have a lot of control over that too. I used to work with a gal who was just horrible. (laughs) And I actually went to an HR counselor to manage manage myself as I was working with her. And what the HR person told me to do was, when the person's talking to you, don't look at them. I mean, not Mm -hmm. like you're trying to avoid them, but just listen to the words or even write the words down. So that it can be absent their tone, their energy, other physical stuff that annoys you, right? That um, feels wrong. There's some wrong headedness there going on just because what she's saying isn't always bad. She actually has some good ideas. How she communicates them is so problematic that you can't hear what she's saying. So just yeah. write down what she says and then look at the words on the paper and deal with the words rather than the person, uh, rather than reacting to the energy of the person. And you'll actually make some progress. It was a huge help for me when I'm dealing with someone whose intent I don't trust or how they're communicating doesn't work to focus on the words, write them down, look at it, as opposed to reacting and looking in the eyes of this person Mm -hmm. really reduces the visceral reaction, the emotional knee jerk, you know, want to fight back kind of stuff, uh, which helps.
0: Yeah. It's like controlling what you can about them and that conversation. Yeah. So just, really quick on just thinking about your transition from um, being in the military and that is a career to the private sector. I talked to someone last season of this podcast who works with, um, actually a couple people people work with first responders, but one who works with people who are doing that transition. Is there something that maybe you did that really helped you go into the private sector and kind of relating to people who, who didn't have that background you did where you guys were all kind of learning the same leadership style, or is there something you wish you would have known that maybe someone listening now would be like, Oh, that's going to be helpful to me when I transition out.
1: You know, my transition was pretty seamless. You know, I didn't spend, mm-hmm. I had the, you know, my life was not in the post nine eleven. there. My life mm-hmm. has not been um, about conflict in the middle east my career in the military my um so i didn't i haven't had to suffer a lot of that in terms of transition into civilian life um which has been my blessing truly um i didn't have the burden that so many of my fellow soldiers do so my transition was fairly straightforward you know that what was all good i was more mature for my age than Normally would have been given the fact that I had to be in charge of soldiers in wartime ready units. Um, and I had to be in front of people and learn how to be um, taking care of people and making tough choices and all those kinds of things. So um, and, and generally speaking, at least in Minnesota, the the business community is very welcoming of veterans. So you see a veteran on somebody's resume and it's seen as a very positive thing. Um, And so I read about the fact that veterans have a hard time reengaging and and as if to say that there's not a welcoming spirit in the business community. And so I don't know about that elsewhere because I don't experience that here. I do know that there is a strong community here of service to veterans who come back really having suffered and wanting having to make transition. Right. So there's a lot of support there. That wasn't my experience. Uh, so we we invest in and support our veterans through a lot of the grassroots stuff beyond the yellow ribbon work and that kind of thing. Um, but so I don't have any real advice for veterans reengaging other than do so and know that your veteran status on your resume is seen as a badge of honor for lots of companies who actually mm-hmm. pursue veterans on purpose because of the yeah. training that we get when we're in. no matter what you did in the military, you learned more than the same a person of the same similar age, out in the civilian world, hands down, and so they're they're valuable. Cool.
0: No, and that's interesting too. Just the difference between the ten years or so, yeah, the experience for everyone changed. I didn't think yeah. about that. So that's that's good. All right. So let's get into now the fun five questions. So, what's the oldest T-shirt
1: you have and still wear? Uh College of Saint Benedict. T-shirt from when you were back in school. I was back in, that would have been in 1982 to
0: 1986. Nice. Okay. So you're like me keep things. Um, yeah. All right. If every day was really groundhog's day, like it feels like during the pandemic that we're still in, uh, what song would you have your alarm clock play every morning?
1: It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful world by Louis Armstrong. Nice. Okay.
0: And then coffee or tea or neither
1: coffee with lots of cream.
0: Yeah, well, that's good. You're in a dairy kind of area. Right. Um, (laughs) When was the last time you like were laughing so hard you cried? Or you just, in general, what makes you do that? Where you just... Oh my gosh!
1: Over the holidays, my family is very, very close. My sister, the one who drives me crazy with the things she says, she's also my dearest friend. We are laughing until we cry because every year we take a week long trip where the several of us and our litter of kids go on a vacation together. And this year we went to the Wisconsin Dells in a hotel room and just padded from one room to the other playing cards and eating all week. And we were falling off our chairs, laughing at some of the stuff that we were doing. So (laughs) nice.
0: (laughs) That's Awesome. And uh, last one, who inspires you right now?
1: You know, I have the really good fortune of talking to a lot of uh, leaders in big organizations, and they inspire me. And so, what I like to do whenever I have time with them is to ask them questions. Like Doug Baker of Equalab is just retiring, just retired in December, and I spent some time with him on the phone earlier this week. And I'm he's going to be part of our annual meeting in February. And I ask him questions. Tell me about your leadership process. Tell me what you think about. Teach me. You know how you handle balance in your life. I do that with Chris Hilger over at Secure, and I talk to you know, we have the good fortune of lots of big companies here. So people who inspire me right now, or whenever I get in front of somebody like Rabiah, tell me about your life. How do you think about this? What did you learn there? So I find that I get inspiration from the people I meet. And I want to ask you, you know, tell me how you think about your life. And I'm always learning something. Awesome.
0: Well, and I've learned a lot from you today.
1: So thanks for sharing. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so It's so fun to be able to chat with you so far away and yet we make it happen virtually. This is great. Cool. All right. Well,
0: thanks for being on More Than Work.
1: Oh, my gosh. You're the best. Thank you for reaching out to me for this. Of course.
0: Thanks for joining me this week. You can find out more about our guest in the show notes. The music you're probably moving to by now is by Joe Mafia. Find him on Spotify. That's Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. And Rob Medkey is responsible for our visual design. You can find him online by searching for Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Thanks, Rob. Let us know who you'd like to hear from or about your own experiences defining yourself outside of work at More Than Work Pod on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Give us a follow. Or visit our website at rabiased.com. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to More Than Work. We'll be back next week with another guest. In the meantime, while being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.